Okay, so, um, yeah, let's begin. You know, the Tour de France is on right now. Yeah, that's what I thought. About three people know that the Tour de France is on right now. Uh, the rest of us call it the Tour de France. Uh, it's the Tour de France. It's the most grueling bicycle race in the world. Uh, they race for around uh, 28 days, um, go almost 3,000 miles, uh, uh, and uh, usually go for about 100 miles a day on their bicycles, sometimes going up uh, major, major mountains. And uh, the, the, my favorite day of the race happened a couple of days ago when they race up the Alpe d'Huez. The Alpe d'Huez is one of the steepest climbs. They takes them about an hour. You see all of those switchbacks right there cut into the side of the mountain. There are 21 of those, and they just make their way slowly up it. I think the record of getting up it is 57 minutes, about eight miles to get up it. Um, and uh, they just are amazing, amazing athletes on these bicycles. But not only do they have to deal with those switchbacks, they also have to deal with the crowds. The crowds are crazy. You see that guy in the front in the green shirt just trying to make his way uh, through the crowds. Here's a line of guys here trying to cut their way uh, through the crowds. And so not only do you have the mountain to deal with, you have all these spectators to deal with as well. Now, here's the thing. Nobody sets out on a bicycle the first day and says, I'm going to climb the, the Alpe d'Huez. That just doesn't work that way. I've ridden one century in my life. A century is a 100-mile ride. And it took me all summer to get ready for that 100-mile ride. You have to develop your legs. You have to develop your lungs. And most importantly, you have to develop where your anatomy actually hits, hits the saddle of the bike. Okay? That's, that's the most important component. Because you can, I mean, your legs can be in great shape. Your lungs can be in great shape. But if you start feeling pain there, it will just stop the race right there. And so you just, you just build up. You go 10 miles, then you go 15 miles, and then the next week you go 20 miles and 25. You go for a half century at some point. And then you build your way up to maybe a 70-mile maybe a ride, 75-mile ride, and you stop there. You don't, go, you don't go to 80, you don't go to 90, because you want to save that for the 100-mile ride. And so there's a process, there's a way of thinking about it. There's development that has to go along with doing something like this. And the thing is, it's also the same in our spiritual lives. In our spiritual lives, we need to look at little goals, little stages along the way to get where we really want to go. And where we really want to go is, yes, ultimately heaven, but in the here and now, where we really want to go is to become as much like Jesus as we possibly can. That's where we really want to go. And so we'll be talking about this over the, the next hour. How do we get to where we want to go? What is this idea of spiritual development? Intentional spiritual growth. And this idea of intentional is super, super important. This falls under a category of spiritual formation. If you haven't heard it before, it is a, a word that's commonly used in the theological world. In fact, you can get a PhD in spiritual formation or a PhD in spirituality. Uh, but the cool thing is, to be, to be formed into Christ and to be a spiritual person, you don't have to have a Ph.D., okay? You can just get in the Word, try to be, start becoming like Jesus, get people in your life, and you will see Christ starting to be formed in your life. That's amazing. 
Spiritual formation is the process of becoming more like Jesus. And there are certain habits that you go through to do that called spiritual disciplines. I'll talk about that in a moment. But here's the thing. Spiritual growth must be intentional. You must set some goals. You must make it your focus. Spiritual growth does not happen by accident. There are a lot of things that you can stumble on in life, but spiritual growth does not happen to be one of those. If you want to grow spiritually, you have to set your mind and your heart that you want to become more like Jesus. It doesn't happen accidentally. It must be intentional. You see there? It's easy to fall off a rock. Anyone can do that. And that looks nasty right there. That looks really nasty. Um, but spiritual growth is not like falling off a rock. It's not just an accident that happens. If you want to grow, it's a lot like mountain climbing and doing it well. That's a process. And you have to give yourself to it a little bit at a time and you get better and better and better. And the same thing is true with spiritual growth. Now turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. One of the best texts on spiritual growth that you can find in the whole New Testament. And one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. That's amazing that we have an opportunity to participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And that's amazing as well. We can escape the world around us. But that's sort of the goal. That's what we want to reach. That's us having Christ formed in us. But here's the thing. To get there, you can't miss out on these middle verses. Beginning in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities, look at this, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive of your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting what they have been cleansed for, that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Amazing that we uh, have that promise there. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So look at this as a sandwich. And the bread on the sandwich are these ultimate goals that we would like to have in life. And you see these ultimate goals, they're listed above and below that middle section. And if we had time, I would, just, I would just ask you right now to think about that a little bit, but we don't have time. And so, but go back and think about it. I'll just list a few. A godly life, knowledge of Jesus, great and precious promises, participation in the divine nature, escape from the corruption of the world, being effective and productive, clear-sighted, cleansed from sins. You will never stumble. You'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That sounds like two amazing slices of bread right there. But in the middle, to get there and have this amazing sandwich, there's also this part where it talks about there's some certain things that you need to do. And that's, that's the meat of the sandwich. That's the middle of the sandwich. 
And it says, uh, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole list of these virtues. You can study that out, and it's a great study, and it'll help you to get to the goal. I want to make three points very quickly. It says, first, make every effort. That's intentional. We're talking about intentional spiritual growth. The art of becoming more like Jesus means that you have to set your mind for it to happen. You have to be intentional about it. So you make every effort. The second is addition. You, add, you have to add things to your life. So add to your faith, goodness, and then he goes through all the virtues right there. But you have to practice addition. Constantly be adding things to your life, spiritual qualities to your life. And then the third thing is in verse 8. If you possess these in increasing measure, you have to keep adding. You can never plateau off. You can never say, well, I have arrived. No, you have to keep working at it. You have to keep adding these things to your spiritual life. And so I encourage you as you look at that, just to see the, the aspect, a big aspect of this verse is be intentional. Spiritual growth will not happen by accident. If you think I'm just going to keep cruising and next year I'll be a year more spiritual than right now, no, you won't. You'll be the same next year as you are right now. But if you say a year from now, I want to change this and this and this, and this is how I'm going to go about doing it, then you can change. But you must be intentional. This is, this is intentional spiritual growth. And as I mentioned before, it falls under the category of spiritual formation. Here's a great verse about spiritual growth and about intentional spiritual growth. It's from the Apostle Paul. Paul here makes one of the most audacious statements that you will find in the Bible. It says, My little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So he's looking at these brothers and sisters in Galatia and he's saying, I really want you to become like Jesus. My goal is for Christ to be formed in you. And I'm working at it and I'm struggling at it and I feel pain and anguish just like childbirth. That's audacious for a man to say, you know? Like, like, come on, Paul, you really, you really know what childbirth is like, Paul? Come on. Uh, but he knew that the people to whom he was writing, most of the people in that day and time, they didn't have the hospitals where people went off and had their babies. They had them right there in home. And they heard the screams and the cries of the mother giving birth. Sometimes for 8, 10, 12 hours. And I'm sure... All, <laughs> did you say 20? Oh, God bless you. That is why men do not give birth to the human population that died out a long time ago. If, if that were the case. But, but Paul is so audacious here, you know. They did, you know, a man would have understood a little bit from hearing the cries. But n nothing really. I heard a comedian one time say that he was in the delivery room with his wife and he was like, oh, that looks so terrible. Oh, what's it like? So she just grabbed his lower lip and pulled it up over his skull. And then she said, that's what it's like. <laughs> the pains of childbirth. But Paul was feeling this for his children. That he wanted Christ formed in them. And so he picks this audacious image. This audacious metaphor. To say, I want this badly for you. Here's the question. How badly do you want it for yourself? Because here's the thing. Paul ultimately could not 
cause Christ to be formed in them unless they wanted it themselves. And so for all of us, that's where it has to start also. How badly do you want it? Do you want Christ formed in you? Are you going to be intentional about it? One way to help with the growth of Christ being formed in you is by practicing the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are these habits that we do that help us to get connected with God. Uh, They do not change us in and of themselves. They connect us with God who changes us. I want to say that again. The spiritual disciplines in and of themselves will not change you. But God will change you if you practice the spiritual disciplines with the right heart. God changes us. And so we have to get connected to God. And when you look at these spiritual disciplines, they are very helpful. Henry Nouwen says, we need some very concrete spiritual disciplines to help us fully appropriate and internalize our joys and sorrows and find in them our unique way to spiritual freedom. So these spiritual disciplines help us to get there. Dallas Willard, who writes a good bit about spiritual formation, says, well, they, the spiritual disciplines, are first of all disciplines. A discipline is any activity within our power that we engage in to enable us to do what we cannot do by direct effort. So you practice these disciplines. But the spiritual disciplines are also spiritual disciplines. That is, they are disciplines designed to help us be active and effective in the spiritual realm of our own heart. Now spiritually alive by grace in relation to God and His kingdom. So they're disciplines, but they're also spiritual disciplines, and they help us to connect with God. Now it says the disciplines focus our eyes on the road we are traveling and help us to move forward step by step to our goal. And I want to pause there for a second. Because all of us in this room today, we are on a journey. We have not arrived. And the journey is to become as much like Jesus as we possibly can until we're called home to heaven. And that's a step-by-step process. And sometimes we take a step forward and we take a step back, but we don't stop there. We regroup and we take another step toward Jesus. And the spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible study and relationships and worships and worship will help us to get there. But it is a journey. We will encounter great obstacles and splendid views, long dry deserts and also refreshing lakes surrounded by rich, shadow rich trees. We will have to fight against those who try to attack us and rob us. We will also make wonderful friends and we'll often wonder if we will ever make it. But one day we will see coming to us the one who has been waiting for us from all eternity to welcome us home. So the ultimate goal is to get to heaven, but in the here and now, we're going to work on our uh, work on our own hearts to become more like Jesus. I've written some books on this. You can take a look at them. Um, but I, let me just give you a, quickly my list of spiritual disciplines. And you can take a look at them. You can work on them. This is how I list them. If you look in other books like Willard or uh, Foster, you'll see them in a, in a different way. I like to list them under two parts. First part is learning dependence on God. The second part is learning interdependence with others. So you can look at it as vertical. We're working on our vertical relationship with God. And then horizontal, we're, look, we're working on our relationship with one another. And various disciplines help us there. On, inter, on our dependence on God, there's the inner journey and there's the upward journey. Now there's certain disciplines under all these. I'll click back to the first one. I'll, I'll slow down now. 
Okay? <laughs> I'm going to really confuse you guys. Take that. Take that picture. I'll take that one really fast. Come on. Take a picture. Get, get, yeah. No. I'll just slow down. Okay. Yeah, I'll settle on this slide for a little while. Uh, the, the, the inner journey uh, where we learn dependence on God, some of the disciplines here are prayer. Prayer is an amazing spiritual discipline that helps us to connect with God. Fasting. Fasting is also something that Jesus practiced, the early church practiced. Um, Paul practiced it before making decisions. And so it's a good spiritual discipline. Not, as practiced, not practiced as much as prayer uh, or Bible study. But um, I could talk a lot more about fasting, but we just got to move through these quickly. Uh, number three is meditation. Meditation also is one of uh, the disciplines that we don't practice that much. But Ryan's going to help us. He's going to come up and help us with meditation today just to show how you can focus a little bit on each of these disciplines and grow quite a bit. And so he's, he actually did his Ph.D. His dissertation was on meditation. And so he's going to share with you about that. And like I said, after listening to it, you'll have a whole year of spiritual growth uh, just come, come right upon you. It's going to be an amazing thing. Um, and then the fourth one is Bible study, getting in the Word and learning the Word of God. All of these are part of that inner journey to get us close to God. And then there's the upward journey where we reach up toward God. And there's three that I put under this category. All of, all of these are helping us to be more dependent on God. The first one is worship. Wasn't that a great time of worship today? Um, yeah, we come together and we worship and we sing and we pray. But you know, worship also is a lifestyle. Worship is 24-7. Worship is living every day in celebration of God, in celebration to God. And so you have to practice that as well. It's not just that we come to church on Sundays to worship. We come and just happen to bring our worship with us to church on Sundays or today as we did this morning. Uh, but worship is celebration. We need to learn to celebrate. Surrender is another one. Learning the art of surrender, which is very difficult, uh, but it's something that God helps us to do. And then repentance, the idea of Changing your, the way you think, changing your mind, changing your heart, that ultimately changes your action and changes who you are. This uh, idea of repentance is a spiritual habit that we need to, constantly, um, need to constantly practice in our lives. Now, let's go to part two. In part two, we have learning interdependence with other people. And so these are our relationships and things that we can do in our relationships. Uh, eighth spiritual discipline is the one, what I call the one another way. It's, it's just all the one another scriptures and practicing being close to other people. Having people in your life. Um, sharing your life with other people. That's an important part of becoming like Jesus. N number nine, evangelism or missions. It helps us to focus on giving ourselves to other people and uh, thus helps us to become more like Jesus. Number 10, simplicity or frugality. The art of just uh, living simply. Living simply, but with a goal. There's a lot of press right now. It's a very trendy thing to simplify your life right now. We're not talking about simplify your life just to de-junk it and to get clutter out of the way. We're talking about simplifying your life so you can focus more on God. That's where the spirituality of these disciplines comes in. You have to focus in the right way. But simplicity, frugality. Number 11 is service. Uh, helping other people, giving to other people, uh, sacrificing for other people. And then number 12 is what I like to call 
sanctifying the ordinary, or 24-7 discipleship. And what I mean by that is that the whole of our life needs to be lived as an act of worship to God. So that if we're going to work, we don't turn off Christianity at work, we take it with us to work, or to school, or on the, the ball field, or uh, when we're uh, at home with the children and playing with the children. Wherever we are, it's 24-7. You don't have an on-off switch, you just have an on switch. It stays on all the time, so that whatever you do, you practice the presence of God. And there, there was a monk who uh, writes about this, and one of the things that he, he learned is that uh, his job in the monastery was to peel potatoes. And he would peel potatoes, but he would pray the whole time he was peeling them. And he would practice the presence of God. And he learned to make potato peeling a holy act. And so that's the idea of 24-7 discipleship. So if you practice these things, they really will help you to develop uh, your life and to become more like Christ. I like to call all of this put together spiritual personal development. I don't know about you, but I like to read personal development books. Some, not all of them. Some of them. I have my favorites, like Stephen Covey, people like that. I have the guys that I don't like, but I'm keeping it positive today. Uh, okay? So I'm not even going to mention Joel Osteen. I'm not even... Uh, no, no, I'm not going to say it, because I'm keeping it positive today. Uh, but, but, yeah, there's some I like, some I don't like. But the ones I, I like, like Stephen Covey, they're very helpful to me. But the thing I want us to see is that there's also the idea of spiritual personal development. That, um, you know, you have spiritual coaches, and they're awesome. They can be super helpful, uh, you know. And we need spiritual coaches in our life. We need spiritual personal development in my life. Let me break this, this term down. Spiritual personal development, and I will close with this. Uh, the spiritual aspect is like Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. We have to want God in our lives. We have to search for God. You ever see the commercial with the Nesty Plunge on the hot summer day? The guy takes a drink of Nesty and he just falls back into a pool. And it's the most refreshing thing. Every day we have the opportunity to be refreshed by God spiritually. Do we take advantage of that? Uh, that's, that's a big part of spiritual growth. It's just that daily connection with God and being refreshed by Him every single day. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. This is an unfortunate verse. They should have been spiritual by this time. But they weren't intentional in their growth. And so they didn't grow. We have to set... Uh, goals for ourselves we have to look at where we want to grow and how we want to grow and then we need to go about growing spiritually personal philippians 2 12 and 13 therefore my dear friends as you have always obeyed not only my presence but now much more my absence continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose work it out yourselves paul says it's a personal thing you can't count on somebody else to grow for you you have to grow yourself. And the thing is, we grow in different ways. This is my, my grandson, uh, Bradley, right here. Uh, Bradley's two years old. He loves musical instruments. I take him to the music store. He just runs around from the guitar to the drums to the keyboard, and he's so happy. Uh, this is my almost one-year-old grandson, Tyler. And uh, Tyler loves uh, sports, 
And if it, if it will roll, he will grab it and he will roll it for hours. He loves to just play catch and roll it back and forth with you. But uh, they are so different in their makeup. Uh, and that's, that's okay. That, that's a good thing. And the thing is, for all of us, we're different as well. For me, Bible study really floats my boat. It encourages me so much. And I get in the Word, and I spend time in the Word, and I get lost in the Word of God. I mean, literally, I could spend time in there, and I can forget the clock. It's like just everything goes away. But for other people, you, what really floats your boat might not be Bible study. It might be prayer for you. I have to personally work at prayer. Now, don't judge me, okay? <laughs> Please don't judge me, because I do okay with Bible study, all right? Let's compare Bible study. Uh, we shouldn't judge each other. I'm happy if it's prayer for you. You're like, you should be happy if it's Bible study for me. But for some of you, it might be relationships. My wife is so relational. You know, she can get with people, and it just, it just uh, fills up the tank. I get with people, it drains my tank. Sorry to admit that, but that's, that, that's, that's the nature of an introvert. That's what, an, that's what happens when you're uh, an introvert. And so, you know, for you, you have to find what it is for you. That's my point, because it's personal, and it's different for all of us. So for you, it might be worship. For you, it might be meditation. For you, it might be prayer or fasting or serving. For some people, they serve, and they just love serving other people. But what is it for you? Find out, discover that, and then make that a real strength in your life. Okay. And then the last thing is development. If we will do these things in increasing measure, like it talks about in 2 Peter 1, then we'll grow. We will become more like Christ. And this is how Jesus grew. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He developed. He grew. And if Jesus grew, then we all need to grow. He grew in specific ways. I want you to think about these four quadrants right here, these four areas. Jesus grew in wisdom, which is knowledge, but it's more than knowledge. It's knowledge, but it's also experiential knowledge, learning from doing. So we grow like that. He grew in stature. He grew physically. He became stronger, more capable. Uh, and so Jesus grew in that way. In favor with God, spiritual growth. Favor with man, relational growth. Jesus grew in all four of these areas. How are you doing growing in all four of these areas? And these are areas where we really need to look and we really need to grow in these areas. You need to think about, okay, how are you doing just learning from life? Wisdom. Gaining wisdom from learning from life. How are you doing growing in stature? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you getting the amount of sleep that you need? Okay? We don't usually hear that in class, but you need to sleep, okay? You need to get the right amount of sleep. That's a good thing. You'll have more to give other people. Uh, favor with God, spiritual growth, favor with man. All of these are really important and they will help you to grow. The art of becoming intentional spiritual growth. I encourage you to think about your growth. Think about the area, the areas where you are strong in. Become even stronger in those areas. And practice these spiritual disciplines to become more like Jesus. Okay, now I'm going to turn this over for Ryan Irby. Dr. Irby, come on. Give it up for Dr. Ryan Irby. Thank you. Well, wow, there's a lot of people in this room. I had no idea. Okay, um, all right, let me get set up here and situated, act like I know what I'm doing. Um, 
But it's great to be together. It's great to see you. Um, I hope you're feeling filled up already. I mean, there's not a person that I can think of in our movement that we can learn from um, more about anyway in terms of spiritual development than Steve. So let's give it up for Steve again for that. It's awesome. Um, you know, I'll just say the great thing about teaching with Steve is that when people see Steve in the program, they say, I want to go to that class. So Steve brought the crowd. Now I'm just trying to, you know, fill in the, fill in the blanks here. But, um, but I'm excited to uh, talk to you today about meditation. Meditation is a discipline that I'm very passionate about. Do I know everything about meditation? No. Will I ever know everything about meditation? No. Or will I ever be perfect at it? No, but it's something that we can grow in, as Steve said, to help our spiritual growth and development. So hopefully uh, you'll glean some things today that will be helpful for you in that realm. I'll just say a little bit about myself. Uh, Steve mentioned this before, but my name is Ryan Irby. Um, I currently lead the Hudson Valley region of the New York City Church of Christ um, under the mentorship of Steve. Um, it's been a great, great experience, a great time there. Uh, I have a wife, Katie, who's not here because we have three daughters under the age of four. So Evelyn is three and a half, um, Vivian is um, almost two, and Lillian is a month and a half. So when Steve was talking about that sleep part, I was like, definitely not getting the sleep that I need. So if I suddenly pass out up here, you know why. Um, but a lot, a lot of meditating happening in, in my house to try to manage everything. But it, it is so good to be here, and it's so great to have my family here. So I'm going to be talking about uh, meditation today. So you can see the title of this portion is Rediscovering the Lost Art of Biblical Meditation. And I like that because I believe that meditation is a lost art. Because for a long time, meditation was just a part of something that Christians did. But for some reason today, we're not as familiar with it. But we need to rediscover it so it can help us in our spiritual growth and development. So let's talk about the problem first. First, I want to actually just give you a quote that highlights how serious it is that it's a lost art. So J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, said this, We have some idea, perhaps, of what prayer is, but what is meditation? Well, may we ask, for meditation is a lost art today, and Christian people suffer grievously from their ignorance of the practice. Suffer grievously from their ignorance of the practice. And I just want to let that sink in for a minute. I hope that you feel challenged by that. Because when I first read this, I wasn't practicing meditation at that time. I really had no concept of what meditation was, especially from a Christian and spiritual standpoint. And so I felt very challenged by that. And so if it's not something that we do or understand, it can harm us. It can hurt us. But as we grow in this, as we learn to understand it and practice it, it can help us a lot. I also want to mention this in terms of why it's been lost. How did that happen, especially today? So Jean Arp, uh, not a Christian, uh, but a poet and a philosopher, said this. Soon silence will have passed into legend. Man has turned his back on silence. Day after day, he invents machines and devices that you're using to actually take pictures of this uh, screen with. Um, which is okay. Um, but... Has, the, has invented machines and devices that increase noise and distract humanity from the essence of life. Wow. Contemplation 
meditation. And I would add to that meditation on God, contemplating God. I want that to sink in a little bit as well. Because it tells us a little bit about why it's been lost, but I think we need to go a little bit deeper. Why have we lost sight of silence? Why are we not spending time in silence and solitude? I think it's because we're afraid. I think it's because we're afraid of what we're going to find when we sit with ourselves in silence and solitude. We face ourselves. And sometimes that truth of who we are is scary. But we need to do it. We need to do it because it's a way that we can connect with God. And just as a, um, an interesting fact about this, so Gene Art passed away in 1950. He said this over, you know, you know, 70 years ago, something along those lines. Very prophetic, right? And you think about how true this is today. We need to reclaim and rediscover the lost art of biblical meditation. So let me give you a definition. Um, but from Thomas Merton, who was a Trappist monk, so he's a monk, so he probably knows a little bit about meditation, probably has some interesting things to say about it. So I want to start there, and then we're going to look at a couple of scriptures. Is that cool? Everybody good with that? Okay, even if you said no, I was still planning on doing that. Don't know why I asked. So Merton said this, to meditate is to exercise the mind in serious reflection. And I like that idea of exercising the mind, a discipline, our, our ways that we train ourselves. And in this case, we train our minds. But he says, reflection not only involves the mind, but also the heart and indeed the whole being. In fact, and I love this part, in fact, study is not spiritually fruitful unless it leads to some kind of meditation. And that should be challenging for us in this room as well, because I'm, I'm sure if we took a survey of this room, we all understand study pretty well. Right? We probably do a great job with studying, but do we take it to the next level? Do we try to absorb it? Do we try to let it affect our being and who we are? And that's what we do in meditation. And, and, and he finishes with this. In meditation, we strive to absorb what we have already taken in. Could you imagine if you had lunch today and you just chewed your food but didn't actually swallow it? Would you ever do that? No, so why do we do that with the Word of God? Why do we take it in and just chew it and then that's it? We have to meditate on the Word. We need to meditate on God. So let's take a look at a couple of scriptures. So uh, there's a lot to be said in the scriptures, in the Old Testament anyway, about meditation. And so we'll talk about a couple that are very similar and have a lot to do with thriving. Because I believe meditation has a lot to do with thriving. And then we'll talk briefly about uh, some New Testament passages. So Joshua 1, verses 7 through 9, and then I'll read Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. I didn't put it up there, so you're going to have to do the work to turn there or, or uh, click there. You know, sorry, I just want to make you do some work this morning or this afternoon. So Joshua 1, verses 7 through 9. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful. Wherever you go, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Don't just think about it. We've got to make sure that we're doing it. 
Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Amen. Yeah, let's get an amen to that. I mean, that's, that's an amazing passage. Okay, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Something very similar here in Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted beside streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Amen to that. So, we'll get into this, this concept of meditation in just a second, but we have to realize that the scripture is saying day and night we're to meditate on the law. Day and night. How much time does that leave out? Day and night. So, as we're thinking about this, and I want to go back to, to briefly touch on something that Steve said, you can't just do that by direct effort. If we were just going to wake up this morning and say, I'm just going to meditate on the law day and night today, you couldn't do that. Because you haven't trained yourself to do it. We have to train ourselves to do that. I believe that this, these passages are actually talking about the outcome of, of the training and of the discipline of meditation. Being able to do that day and night is a possibility if we train for it, if we spiritually train for it. But what is this meditation? So the Hebrew word here used in both passages is Hagah. And Hagah literally defined means to murmur, to ponder, or imagine, to study, or to meditate. In fact, Hagah is used about 25 times in the Old Testament is most commonly translated as meditation. And so when we think of murmur, actually like that word to be used as a, a translation for Hagah, because a murmur is a light and low but steady sound. I mean, you can think of your heart, right? right? Your heart is just there, ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum. Even without our knowledge, it's there in the background just constantly beating. It's a light and low sound. And that's what meditation is. And that's what our meditation should be on the law of the Lord or on God or on the Spirit or on Christ. It's just a constant presence in our life, just there in the background over and over and over again. I love the uh, imagery used in Psalm 1, a stream. A great way to learn how to meditate is to just sit beside a stream. Because if you sit by a stream, you learn that the stream just gives this constant and consistent sound over and over again. The water is always there flowing in that particular direction. And so if you just sit there next to the stream and you think about how the word needs to be like that in our lives, you can learn a lot. And if you just sit there with it and you just take a passage and you just turn it over and over in your mind... That's a way that you can meditate, a real simple and easy way that you can meditate. Um, we're not going to look at these passages, but there's another Hebrew word, siach, uh, which means to ponder, converse, or muse, or meditate. That's also translated as meditation uh, in the Old Testament. So a couple passages that use that word siach, Psalm 77, verse 12. Again, Psalm 77, verse 12. 
Psalm 143, verse 5. Again, Psalm 143, verse 5. And then Psalm 145, verse 5. And I'll just read that one. I will meditate, or siach, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. So that's the Old Testament. You might be thinking that, right? Okay, that's the Old Testament, but what about the New Testament? But there's a better question that we can ask. Because if we are disciples of Jesus, that's who we are, right? Disciples of Jesus, we're learning from Jesus how to live our lives as if Jesus was living it for us. So we need to ask ourselves, did Jesus meditate? Is this something I can, I can um, imitate from Jesus' life? Well, the answer is yes. Jesus did. And I'll, I'll say a little bit about that. You know, several scriptures talk about Jesus seeking solitude uh, and time for prayer. Mark 135, Luke 5, verse 16. But also what we should realize is that as a good Jew, which is who Jesus was, he would have engaged in the disciplines that the Jews practiced. And the Jews practiced meditation. He likely, especially in my mind anyway, meditated on the Psalms and turned those into prayers. Because that's what, that's what the Jews did with those. And, and, and they committed them to memory. And also, I think this is just an interesting uh, fact. Jesus quoted slash referenced the Psalms more than any Old Testament book. In fact, 11 times he quoted the Psalms. Um, so certainly a practice that uh, Jesus used in his life. And there are actually a few scriptures in the New Testament that lend themselves well to thinking about meditation. So Romans 8, which talks about having our minds set on the Spirit. Um, Colossians 3 talks about having our minds set on what is above. So setting our minds, meditating on the things that are above or the Spirit. And then, of course, Philippians 4, which talks about dwelling on the good. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is uh, right and pure and lovely, dwell on those things. Those, those are referring to meditation as well. So let me get practical. Because we like practicals in this room, right? We like to talk about how we can actually live this out and do this in our lives. So I'm going to give you um, a, a, a larger practice. Um, and then I'll give you some specifics about meditation. This is, this is what I mean by that. So um, the art of Lectio Divina... Um, which is an ancient approach to experiencing the scriptures. Um, and so I'll give you a, the step-by-step process. So there's, there's variations in terms of how people talk about Lectio Divina. Um, very commonly, there are four steps, but I'm going to give you a few more. So Lectio uh, Divina, again, is approach to how we experience the scriptures. And so the first step is silencio, which means preparing. You know, and let's, let's think about how important that is. I mean, if we're talking about the Bible as the Word of God, living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, the very breath of God, shouldn't we take some time to prepare to experience the Word? So, silencio, preparing. We need to prepare ourselves for the next step, lectio, which is receiving or reading the Word. So that's where we study. We take it in. And then what we do with the next step is, uh, that should actually say 
meditatio, but meditation, that's fine, is processing. So we've taken it in. Now we're absorbing, we're digesting, we're really getting it into our lives and our spirit. The next one, oratio or oratio, is responding. Now that we've received the word, now that we've processed it, now we're going to respond to it to God. So you can turn that into prayer. Uh, The next one, contemplation or contemplatio, is yielding. So now we're yielding to the message that God has given to us. And then the last step, incarnatio, which is living out the text. Because we are not to just hear the text, but we're to do it as well. We're to do the word of God. But that, that middle step, meditation, what is that? What are some ways that we can meditate? So I'm just going to offer a few suggestions. We actually have a little bit of time to practice together. We'll just do something briefly, uh, and then I'll, I'll wrap things up. Okay, so um, here are so, a few ways that we can uh, meditate with that middle step there in Lectio Divina. So scripture mantra. We can take a scripture, a short passage, to carry with us and repeat to ourselves. Uh, One of my favorites is from John 3, where Jesus has that interaction with Nicodemus at night. Nick at night. So what he said... I tried to slide that out there, actually. I didn't even come up with that. Somebody else did. But Nick at night, anyway, that was was good. You did too. Great. So Jesus says to him in that very perplexing conversation with Nicodemus, like, what are you talking about? He says... Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And so that mantra, if we can just imagine the flesh gives birth to flesh and just trying to to weed through and weed out and just get rid of any kind of destructive, sinful, evil thoughts and intentions and actions from our lives. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. So imagining taking in more of the spirit of God into our lives. Could you use some more of that, some more of the Spirit in your life? I know I could, but just imagining that, more of the Spirit in our lives. Actually, I remember years ago, uh, Steve taught a a great Bible talk to our singles group. I, I was single at the time, and he just gave this really great point. He said, think flesh, get flesh. Think spirit, Get spirit. It was just an awesome way to think about that. And we can turn that into a meditation and carry that with us throughout the day. Um, Another great way to meditate on uh, the word, but also that helps our meditation, is scripture memorization. Just memorizing short verses, but even long passages. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a great... Psalm to memorize. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And so you can, you know, you can take those and work on those. And as you're working through those and trying to memorize those, that's a meditation. But then once you've memorized it, you can take it with you throughout the day and call it to mind whenever you need it. Uh, One of my favorite things to do. So I love nature. Uh, Where I live in the Hudson Valley, it is absolutely beautiful. And there's a park out there, Harriman State Park, and I love to trail run out there. And one of the reasons that I love to be out there is because once you're in creation, it's such an easy place to worship and connect with God. And so what we can do with that is just meditate on God's handiwork 
and in, in his creation. And so if you're running out there, you might not be able to meditate, but if you took a walk, you may be able to just spend some time in contemplation and appreciate what God has done. So those are just a few ways. Um, there are lots of other methods out there. Uh, journaling is a great method. So if you, uh, if you take a passage and you write it out and then you emphasize different words as you're writing it out, either underlining those or highlighting those, placing special emphasis on those, um, then that's another way to meditate. Um, before we get into the practice of it, I actually want to talk just a little bit about some of the outcomes. I'm going to give you a couple of spiritual outcomes this helps us with the why of meditation, which is so important uh, when we talk about motivation. We have to answer that question, why? Uh, but I also want to talk just a little bit about uh, the health side of things, because as Steve mentioned, um, I spent the, the prior three years before I came back to the Hudson Valley um, working on my dissertation, which focused on meditation, especially how important it is for young people, ch children and adolescents. Um, because it, it is really important for them for their spiritual development, but also for their brain development and their mental and emotional health. But it's also really good for our mental and emotional health as well. But I'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, so here's just a few things. I mean, meditation does, uh, can do a number of things for us. Um, but one thing that it does, and I, I do want to make sure I'm, I'm clear on this, is that the discipline itself doesn't bring us closer to God or, or change us or form us. It's actually God that creates the change. This is just an opportunity uh, for God to work. Amen. But it forms our spirit. We're talking about spiritual formation. And spiritual formation or, or spiritual growth means that our spirit or we are growing and it's formed, or we are formed by the Spirit of God. So there's those uh, two different ways that we can think about it. But we all have a spirit. And our spirit we can think of as our will, or our organ of choice. When we make decisions and choices, we are using our spirit. And so when we meditate, it helps us to choose God. We choose God in that moment, but it also trains us to be able to choose God. Uh, number two it renews our minds. Romans 12, verse 2, right? If we're going to transform, we have to be renewed in our mind. And our minds are our thoughts, our images, uh, different things that are, are rolling around in there. And so when we take in God into our minds and we meditate on it, it changes us. It changes our minds. It reforms those destructive and old thought patterns. It gives us new ways of thinking about God, about ourselves, and about our relationships. Um, as I mentioned, it also improves our health. And I just, I, I, I want to just get briefly into this for a second, because uh, I think it's helpful, but if you want to talk more about this afterwards, I'd be happy to do that. <clears throat> but there's a lot of press about meditation and what it does. Uh, some of it's good, and some of it's accurate. Some of it's not as accurate. Um, a lot of the meditation research, honestly, is still in its infancy. It's still at an early stage. And so we need more studies and more research to see what it actually does. But there is a good line of research that has pointed to a few different health outcomes. Uh, one of those things is it just helps us to reduce stress. Yeah. Plain and simple. And it makes sense, right? If we're calm and we, and we take some time to settle ourselves, 
It's just going to help to reduce those feelings of stress and maybe help us to approach these problems and issues, those stressors, in a new way. Um, it also helps to alleviate, not cure, okay, I want to be careful in how I say that, but it helps alleviate anxiety and depression. Okay, again, it doesn't cure those things, but it can be helpful in our fight against those things. And the way in which that works is it actually helps to develop and promote our self-regulation or our self-control. Okay, self-regulation is just a you know, fancy psychological term for talking about self-control. So, amen, self-control. But the way, the way in which that works, and this is a very simplified version of this. Again, we could talk about this more, but um, you know, our brains, are, are, we can divide it into different regions. And the middle of our brain is our limbic system. It's where we process different emotions like fear and anxiety. Um, and so as we're developing through life, for, for whatever reason, that part of our brain is fully active and develops first. What develops later is the control mechanism of our brain, the front of our brain, right? Prefrontal cortex, decision-making, um, judgment, all those things. But when you look at the brain, the front of the brain and the limbic region are connected, they, and they should be connected. And there are things that we do, th- do throughout our lives that can actually disrupt that process of, of connection. Uh, but there are behaviors that we can engage in that actually help to integrate the brain. And an integrated brain is a healthy brain. And, it can, and what meditation can actually do, and some studies have pointed to this, is that it can help to link the front of the brain with the limbic region or the emotional center of our brain. So it helps us to regulate those emotions better. So you can think of... so. Um, a, a stressful or a, a difficult experience happens. And so we get frustrated. We might feel anger we feel, or we feel fear, fearful. What happens is we essentially flip our lids and the front of our brains go offline. Wow. I, I borrowed that from somebody else as well. But we, we flip our lids. And so the process of, of self-control is bringing that front part of the brain back online so it can do its job and regulate our emotions. And so what meditation can do in the moment is help with that. But you see, if we practice it as a, as a discipline, it lends itself well to just being able to do that naturally. It trains us to be able to do so even outside of a meditation experience. It helps give us a healthier brain. Can I get an amen to that? All right. So before I get to the resources, let's... Just take a minute to practice a little bit of meditation. I'm going to guide you through this one. This is um, what I call uh, visualization meditation. A lot of Asians in there, but visualization meditation. And so what I want you to do, I know if you're standing in the back, hey, you can still meditate. Uh, So just, you know, find a a comfortable position if you're sitting in your chair. Uh, You don't have to do this. I'm not sure why I did that, but just try to find a... A comfortable position there. That's what I do. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But just try to find a comfortable position. Uh, You can put your hands on your thighs. Try to keep your back straight. You can close your eyes if that's helpful. That's what I like to do. Or some people recommend a soft gaze forward. Whatever helps you to focus and concentrate. But you can 
initially, just start to focus on your breath. Just pay attention to your breath. So breath in. And breath out. The breath is a great anchor for the mind. Because the breath is always with us. And it's easy for us to focus on. Even just by focusing on our breath and trying to take a deep breath in and breath out. Even that helps to focus us and calm us down. That's something that actually uh, we practice a lot uh, with our girls. And we practice it a lot too, but that's besides the point. So just focus on your breath. And don't get discouraged as distracting thoughts come in. Just notice it and try to bring your focus back to your breath. You will get distracted. It'll happen, but just focus on your breath. And what I'm going to do as you're focusing on your breath is I'm going to read Psalm 23 very slowly, very meditatively. And as I read it, I I want you to focus on the passage. I want you to try to put yourself there. Try to imagine what David is describing. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me Beside quiet waters, he renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as as I live. Amen. I want to finish with, I know we're out of time, I just want to finish with a couple of resources. I know Steve mentioned some. So the first three are uh, books that are books about spiritual formation, but they each have uh, some information in there, some sections on meditation. So Celebration of Discipline, um, it's a classic in the field by Richard Foster. Um, Steve mentioned this one before, but um, it's, it's really a great book about uh, spiritual formation, and he has a great section in there on uh, meditation. The Way of the Heart of Jesus, The Inward Journey. Um, invitation to a Journey, M. Robert uh, Mulholland Jr., and then something specific about meditation is Christian, Christian Meditation, Experience the Presence of God by James Finley. 
That's it. Thank you so much for uh, being with us today. We appreciate that. And enjoy the rest of the